Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions this afternoon, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000 is the number. You can also text me. Uh, 720-336-0897. I I received a text message last week. Uh, Someone said that they uh, text the same question in four times and never received an answer. And I actually answered that question on the air, which would just remind me that if you text in a question and it gets answered, it will be on the air. You won't receive, most likely... May depending on how many, how much time we have, um, or like for, for example, today I have an appointment right after the show. Then I have service. I'm not going to be able to answer them today, but I'll try to answer them on the air. So I just want to let you know that the text questions help fill the time to answer the question on the air uh, live for the program. So if you text a question, you go, "I never got an answer." Uh, is a good chance I got answered on the air. The day that you asked it just depends on the flow of the show. Uh, and so uh, thanks for texting them in. That number's uh, dedicated, 720-336-0897. My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. Um, that's where Calvary Live originates, uh, through the Grace FM radio network. It's also heard on Hope FM radio network the Truth FM radio station, and other stations around the country. So welcome, everyone. If you're listening on Grace FM, you're listening live. It's a live broadcast. And then, of course, if you're listening on any other station, right for the time being, uh, you're listening to it one week delayed uh, for now. Uh, We're actually maybe, maybe... Uh, might be able to get it live one day. Maybe. We'll never, we'll see. Um, but uh, if not, right now it's one week delay. And what that means is, is you can call the show while it's on. And if you get on the air, we'll take your call. We'll answer it live. And list people listening on uh, Grace FM will hear you live. And then you get to tune into your station next week and hear the program that you were on. Um, and so it's kind of cool. Uh, if you're uh, if if you're in uh, Colorado and you miss uh, you want to hear the program again, we podcast this on the Calvary Live podcast. You can subscribe and download past episodes of the show to uh, to hear uh, that particular program, and that's anywhere you get your podcast. So give me a call, 303-690-3000. We have just started a study in the book of Peter, First Peter, on Wednesday night. So in a couple hours, we're going to be here for worship and the Word. And we've got a, today's a special day 
because we're sending. Check this out. You know, again, I, I love this. I love the irony. I love the sense of humor of God with all the the clamor and the overreach of government and and uh, people. You know, the challenging times. It's all of it inclusive. That the, there's some people have concluded that the gospel is hindered and the church is being muzzled and and it's it's not true it's not true we've had to adjust we've had to respond we've had to change how we do things what's been dis- what's been held back is the comfort and ease that we got used to uh, and and we enjoyed uh, and that that's changed um, and yes there are overreach uh, some states are better than others. Um, there are different political motivations behind that, I'm sure. Um, but the gospel is not chained, ever, never. You know that, and I know that, but now we're being tested on it. And it's important that we uh, pass this test, for goodness sake. <clears throat> uh, let me read to you Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 9. You ready? I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. Paul says, And because I preach this good news, I'm suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. So so it's not my opinion. You know, people get flipped out. They watch this YouTube video. Oh, no. Oh, no. They watch a popular prophecy expert that's into conspiracy theories. Oh, no. Oh, no. But the Bible says... The word of God cannot be chained. That's what it says. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. That's what it says. Oh, but you know, they're taking this, they're finding this. I know, but that doesn't chain the gospel. That doesn't kill the church. It actually forces us to respond. It forces us to trust. It forces us to pray. The greatest thing that we can do is pray. I don't like it. I think that there are freedoms that we've been given in this country, but the freedoms are being taken away. Now what? The gospel doesn't cha- isn't chained. It says it straight up. The word of God cannot be chained, or in the New King James, the gospel cannot be chained. So I say all that to say this. Tonight, we are laying hands on a young lady in, from our church who's launching off into the f- full-time mission work. She's leaving and we're praying for her, and we're sending her off. In the middle of COVID, Ed? Yes. In the middle of restrictions, Ed? Yes. In the middle, will, will, will she wear a mask? Yes, when she's in the sanctuary, but not on the stage. <laughs> we'll pray for her on the stage, because you've seen her on the stage singing. Um, but is she going on the mission field? Yes. Has it been easy? No. And she would probably be one of the first ones to share with you. We don't have a lot of time for her to share her testimony tonight, but as she does, it has been hard, super duper challenging and hard uh, for her to be on the mission field. Uh, And the door is finally opened and she's out of here. Like it's it's opened so quickly that she's gone. We're praying for her tonight, and I think she leaves this week. Like, she's out of here. And she's already got a church to go serve with. She's already got a mission to, to help with a brand-new church plant. And um, very exciting. So we're going to be praying for her tonight. We're going to be singing together. 
We're going to be praying over her. We're going to get an update from her. We are going to be taking communion. When you walk in, you'll be given communion. <laughs> and, and then we will uh, pray together, and then we'll study the Bible together. So come on out, 7 o'clock. 303-690-3000. We're going over to John in Pennsylvania. John, welcome to the program. Uh, hello, Pastor. Uh, thank you. Uh, one month back, I called and asked for uh, prayers uh, for the Christians in India. I want to thank you and uh, because of the help of a few assemblies, churches in India, we were able to help uh, at least uh, 30 Christian believers. Now I have uh, another prayer request. So uh, 36 years back, my father started a Christian school. The name of the school is Christian Residential High School. Okay. It, uh, it ran uh, uh, well until recently by the grace of God. Uh, the Christian bookshops, which my brother runs in India, they have been a great help to this orphanage and school. Because of this COVID situation, uh, bookshops are closed, and um, uh, we are in a big dilemma. Uh, we know that this is the Lord's work, uh, and uh, we don't know how to continue this year. So I want to ask uh, uh, your prayers. Okay, let's do that. Yes. Fa Father, I, I joined together with my brother, John, who we want to intercede for this Christian Residential High School, uh, even as we uh, have been getting feedback from Guna, also in India, the challenges in, in India have only been um, harder because of COVID, um, harder because not only of the sickness, but the changes that have come along. And, and even as this bookstore and the primary source of income has dried up, God, we pray for you to open up the doors Open up a way where there is no way. Open up an opportunity, God, so this school uh, to continue. Um, even as there's this confirmation in John's heart that it is to continue. And I pray as we, as we watch you work through this, God, that you would reveal what your purposes are with this school. And that, God, ultimately we pray for your will to be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, thank you very much. Keep man. us up to date, John, okay? Yeah, sure, I will. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. You know, the, the reality of things going on, I was just doing a, a recording for our radio broadcast, and, and the pick of the month is a book by Tom Doyle highlighting the um, testimonies of believers in the Middle East under the oppression of terrorism and ISIS. And, um, you know, the, the, there is a real... Uh, battle going on worldwide. I know we get caught up in our own struggles, and they're real, uh, for sure. But the, the the believers around the world, especially in India, uh, have been suffering greatly, and it's a challenge. And so, when we get uh, prayer requests like this, we take them very seriously. Guna was Guna is one of the I can't pronounce his last name, but he and his wife are missionaries we support in India directly. Um, they're, they're supported through Calvary Chapel in Boise, Idaho. And Guna put out a request because part of his ministry 
is to minister to AIDS victims, you know, uh, people with AIDS that already struggle. Uh, his last name is Guna Sakarion. Guna Sakarin. Guna Sakarion. <laughs> I got this all phonetically here. Uh, but Pastor Guna goes from village to village and ministering to these smaller churches. Uh, you know, churches of 5, 10, 15, it's uh, gatherings of where they, where they live. And uh, for the AIDS patients, they have many things against them. Um, on top of the fact that they are unable to work, unable to provide, there is no work. Um, and he just put out a request because COVID has been especially difficult for AIDS victims, AIDS patients. And God provided the resources, uh, and he's been able to minister to the families. Um, not everybody that he serves has AIDS, uh, HIV, but many do, and it's his heart to serve them in the hope and the love of Jesus. And so it's hard. And, you know, if you already live a hard life, then COVID made it harder. And uh, both here and there. 303-690-3000. Got a text question I want to answer. Uh, what's the purpose of laying on of hands? And what is the biblical reference? Well, we get the concept and the biblical practice of laying on of hands from the scripture. Uh, the laying on of hands is something that's taught and modeled in the scriptures. However, it's not something that is required. It's something that we get to, to do together. And there's a few places. First of all, uh, in Acts chapter 19, um, Paul is there with a group of believers. He places his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was still speaking. The Holy Spirit came upon all who, who, that listened to the message, um, and they, um, as Peter was astonished that the Holy Spirit uh, was given to them, um, they're praising God. And 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, um, he's told, be careful who you lay hands on. Uh, so there is a physical part to that, but it also has a spiritual part where the laying on of hands conveys the church's approval. Uh, like tonight when we lay hands on a missionary, the pastors will be there. It, it commissions, a, it, it conveys God's approval through the leadership of the church. It is our way of laying hands on Amanda and encouraging her in the work that God has for her. Um, it is a reminder for her as she feels the hands on her shoulders uh, that, uh, and she's surrounded by the leaders of the church that she's embarking upon a, a serious uh, uh, spiritual responsibility. Uh, and so the laying on of hands uh, has an ability to connect people together. Uh, and it's not like a superstitious thing. The laying on of hands doesn't do anything in and of itself. It is symbolic, and it's obedient to the biblical text. So thank you. Great question. Um, and one of the things you can do is you can go to a Bible search program. If you have a software on your computer, or you can go to blueletterbible.org, and you can just put in the phrase laying, um, laying or hands, and you'll see every instance of that phrase being used in the scripture. So let me do that myself. I'm going to look it up in the New King James. Um, oops, wrong one. So laying hands. 
the first reference. So some you'll have to sort through um, because some of these um, don't have a bearing to that phrase. So, you know, when God tells, like the first one that I see used is Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, do not lay your hand on the land. That's not the biblical laying on of hands. That's physically. Uh, same with Genesis 37. Um, it, it really becomes uh, a, a, a spiritual act of conveying authority uh, in Leviticus when, remember, they would lay their hands on the bull on the offering, uh, and then the bull would be killed before the Lord, Le- Leviticus 4.15. Then he would lay his hands on the scapegoat, and then the scapegoat would run away. So there's a conveying. And then when you finally come to the New Testament, um, <clears throat> let's see here. So I did that. Blueletterbible.org is a free software that you can do via the web. Um, you know, in, uh, in Mark chapter, or in Matthew chapter 9, uh, my daughter had just died, just come lay your hand on her and she will live. So there's a conveying of healing through the laying on of hands. Um, the same thing in Mark 5.23. Um, there's also the laying on of hands that, that meant to take someone by force, Mark chapter 12, verse 12. Um, They were to lay hands on the sick, Mark 16, 18. Um, uh, The Simon um, saw the laying on of the apostles' hands that the Holy Spirit was given, so Simon the sorcerer tried to buy it. Uh, In Acts 8, 18, in Acts chapter uh, 9, Ananias laid his hands on Saul, when he came to meet him, Acts 28, 8, um, that's not an example. That's another phraseology, but not the laying on of hands. First Timothy 4, 14, do not neglect the gift that's in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Uh, we read First Timothy 5, 22, 2 Timothy 1, uh, don't forget to, uh, I remind you to stir up the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. And, and then Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2 actually refers to the doctrines of baptisms and of the laying of hands. Uh, so it's a biblical practice, but it's not something that is um, that is like mandated. It's something we get to do. Um, it says, how, hello, how does God feel about women? Seems while reading the Bible, women were stoned to death, deemed unclean if raped. Um, the, the Bible elevates a woman to the highest degree possible. I know that's a a mixed message in our culture today, but the Bible, anywhere Christianity has gone, women have been elevated to their proper place as co-heirs with men of Christ. Equal co-heirs, equal in all ways, um, in their creative order. They're equal in all ways. Um, Now, because women are equal in all ways doesn't mean that they are not distinct, because men and women are certainly distinct. Uh, Men are fathers, women are moms. It's not the other way around. Women um, have the privilege and the joy of carrying a baby in the womb. Men do not. Uh, Men are dads and women are moms. Men are husbands, women are wives. So there's a distinction between the genders um, there's a distinction between men and women, but God loves women as much as he loves men. And there was a stoning for adultery for men as well as women. Um, so I'm not entirely sure what 
scripture you're referring to, I, I would. Uh, this was a text question, so if you want to call me with it, you can. I'd love to talk about it. Um, but women um, through through Christianity have been elevated to their rightful place as co-heirs of salvation with men. They're, um, the, the fancy word I always like to introduce to you, you could use it on your friends and family, is that ontologically, in their creative nature, women are 100%, not 99, not 95, not 80. Women are 100% equal with men. Or you could say men are 100% equal with women. And we see when, I think it's actually this weekend. Let me give you a little um, insight. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I know I'm getting close. Because we're studying uh, the life of Rahab, this week. Rahab is, I'm not going to give you the whole study uh, with it, but Rahab is a tremendous example of God elevating a woman, a, not only a woman, but a Gentile woman, not only a Gentile woman, but a woman completely sold over to sin, a sinner, if you would say, um, giving his favor upon this woman. And and I'll just give you a little sneak peek of how Women are so important to the plan and purpose of God. Absolutely, you know, the, the, the carrier of the Savior of the world was a woman, not a man. That's just, uh, what a privilege. Even though because of the curse of sin, childbirth and pregnancy is with pain today, um, but childbirth and, and, the, and, and having a baby in the womb is a great blessing and gift that God has given to women and not men. But when you think through the scriptures, um, Miriam was a worship leader, Judges chapter 15. Deborah was a national leader. She was a judge willing to do things that men weren't even willing, like trained military soldiers weren't willing to do, Judges chapter 4. Huldah was a prophetess, 2 Corinthians, Chronicles 34. Anna was a prophetess, Luke chapter 2. Priscilla was a Bible teacher, some great women Bible teachers out there, Acts chapter 18. Phoebe was a deaconess, some tremendous uh, Phoebes in every church, Romans chapter 16. And there were many other women that served at a high level of responsibility uh, with Jesus himself throughout the Gospels, Luke 24. So women are 100% equal in the eyes of God. Isn't that great? I love that. What a great question. Thanks for asking it. 303-690-3000 is the number. We're going to go back now to Baltimore. Millie, welcome to the program. Hi there. Hi. I am calling about my 17-year-old son. Okay. Um, I've raised him his whole life. His dad <clears throat> hasn't been with us for about 15 years. We're divorced. And we've been in church for 20-some years. Um, but recently... He's been disrespecting me. My question is, you know, I'm handling it with prayer with my pastor, with people at church. We're talking with him periodically. He's resisting a lot of things spiritually. He's got a girlfriend that I'm not sure is in church. He won't introduce her to me. He wants to be able to have his own way of going out and have his own hours and not be able to tell me where he's going. I feel like I can trust him some of that, but the disrespect where he'll tell me to shut up or he'll tell me it's none of my business, or he'll tell me those kind of things without being nice and caring. I'm not sure how to handle that. I feel like it's a hindrance to my house, where I'm growing my house spiritually. Yes. And I want to love him at the same time. 
sure. and not push him away. So no one's been able to tell me how to do that. His dad's in the picture where he talks with him a lot, but I feel like that's not even helping. He's not firm in saying you need to stop the disrespect. I don't, I don't hear that. So what can I do, you know, without um, hindering what I'm trying to do as far as loving him through Christ? I can't punish him. <laughs> he has no car. His car's been in the shop for a while. He just lost his license because he got a ticket. They took it from him. So all of these things are factors, I'm sure, in, in his temperament. Um, I'm just wondering if other things are going on that I don't know about. I have no evidence. Well, there probably are other things going on. Uh, a, a late, you know, a, an inconsistent life of disobedience and rebellion against parents is certainly an indication of deeper things going on in his life and he's probably at 17 he's only got a few more year a few more months living with you uh, and then you have a choice of really making that decision for him you know that when we're training up our kids in the ways of the Lord what we're trying to do is we're trying to discipline and train them so that they make wise decisions and what we see here is an opportunity to Put the decisions back in your son's court. Um, the the conditions of living here, son, are X, Y, and Z. Uh, and if you don't want to follow through with these conditions, then you have a choice to make. Not you, mom, but he has a choice to make. If you want to live here, these are the conditions. If you don't want to follow the conditions, then you can't live here. Now, of course, he's 17, so you're not going to put a minor out on the street. Um, not, I'm not suggesting that, but you've got a few months till he's no longer a minor and he can feel the full weight and take the full weight of the responsibility for his decisions if it's really that bad. Um, I do think that you should exhaust every means possible to bring discipline into his life. For example, um, if he uses your internet access, you can still take that from him. Uh, if he has some of the benefits that are more than just food and clothing, right? You, you do have a responsibility to take care of our kids, food and clothing, but all of the bonuses um, certainly can be taken away um, to the point where you don't have anything left to take away um, because freedom is a privilege. Um, it's not a right. Living in my house um, after you're of the age is a freedom. It's, not a, pri- it's a privilege. It's not a right. And I know that I know that nothing I just said to you is new. Um, I'm, I'm just really sorry that your son's taken a turn. However, we can't just throw up our hands <clears throat> and say, well, the, the world's got him, so, you know, and all these mechanisms of discipline aren't working. Um, what God is really calling you to do is to deepen your prayer life for your son. Yes. And yes, I to, that. to beg for him before the throne room of grace to beg for him to be protected from his stupid decisions, to beg God to protect him from the onslaught of the enemy. and the, um, However you have, um, it's your home. And he's overextended his welcome. It's not okay to be disrespectful. It's not okay to be unkind. It's not okay. Like, like son, you know, I, I, I respect you having uh, wanting to make up your own mind and make up your own decisions but you also now need to take responsibility for those decisions i'm not going to co 
Uh, you're getting to the age where we're not. Gonna, I'm not going to co be co responsible for your decisions anymore. Um, you you can be responsible for them and just start to have that discussion with them and warn him ahead of time because when he turns 18, um, you have ever you have other choices that are available to you. Right. Yeah, I've, I've explained all that to him. He knows that, um, but at times he still gets disrespectful. But those are, are mainly what I'm doing. So um, I will reinforce more though the options he has as he gets 18. Though I think he, they need to be reminded. <clears throat> Just they like do. Jesus reminded disciples. Yeah, so we constantly need to be reminded. But it's been a burden for me, so I just pray that. So um, here's what I want you to do. You hear the music, and you've been waiting patiently, so I'm going to put you on hold, and we'll come back right after the break. Because I've got a scripture for you, and then I want to pray for you, okay? Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor. Taking your calls today. Uh, before I get into any introductory remarks, I want to go back to Millie in Baltimore. Millie, are you still there? Yes, I am. <laughs> so, so as I was... Um, as we were, as I was, you were talking in the last part of your, um, the last part of the, the call there, I, a scripture popped into mind. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. Okay. And I felt like this was for you. It, it almost sounds like exactly where you're at. It says, for you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And... Yeah. We're talking about the practical things with your son, but I know as a mom that it breaks your heart. I know that it's an emotional drain. I know that you are spiritually attacked over this. Like maybe sometimes you feel like you didn't do it right, you didn't do it enough. Maybe it sounds like perhaps, is are you still married to his dad? No, that's the thing that you know I have a hard time with is that, and then I, I homeschooled him for years, so I felt like maybe I shouldn't have, put him in high school, that's the issue that I'm sure. feeling condemnation with that. But yes. I do get past that. I'm, I'm a prayer warrior, so I'm not going to let anything affect my spirit. Um, yeah. So just him, I, he's my, my, all my children, I have, he's my fifth one, by the way, and so uh-huh. my last one, and I just want to make sure, all of them, that I sacrifice anything that their spirits would be well. Yes. I leave this earth, so that's why I seek help. I don't want anything happening where I will say, why didn't I do this, or why didn't I do that? Or yes. So I just want um, to... Well, that scripture is awesome. I like that. And I, I, that word endurance is that is a popular, uh, a real familiar Greek word called hupomone. It means to bear up under the weight of a trial and under the weight of a circumstance. And, and although your wow. son's not dealing with this type of behavior, there is a great book because uh, I, I always remember this. I'll never forget uh, this praying mom, um, Christopher Yuan's mom, praying desperately for her wayward, backslidden. Uh, you know, Christopher Yuan uh, dove headlong into the homosexual life, and and his mom um, 
his mom prayed and prayed and prayed. I'm not entirely sure if I remember correctly, Kevin, you might be able to help me, but was Christopher Yuan's mom part of the inspiration of that one movie where that she had the war room or was it she just had a war room? Okay, so she just, and, and he actually brings a, a roll of paper um, that he that he shows of all the times that his mom prayed for him. And I forget what he wrote. What did is her mom, Kevin, do you remember what her mom, his mom wrote on that long scroll of paper he showed us? Um, I don't remember, but he gave it as a testimony. Like it was his mom's prayers uh, that that brought him to a place of brokenness that God brought him home. And and I know God can do that in your son's life too. It's It's just right now he's getting to the age where the full responsibility of his bad behavior is coming upon him. And and unfortunately, you're the you're the one that uh, is going to be the communicator. Um, just like you know, and I think discipline's important because the Bible says that God is a father who chastens us, and if He doesn't chasten us, it shows that He doesn't love us. Right. So let me pray for you. Yes, I agree. Yes, thank you. Father. I pray for my sister Millie and her son. And you just know everything surrounding that. I know that her story is repeated a hundred times over of people listening in right now. And so I just pray for them as well. Um, that, you know, these the kids, Lord, just navigating life, wanting to try this, get involved with that. And then they just take such a sudden turn against their parents, God. I, I pray that you would bring them to their senses and rebuild relationship and, and uh, soften hardened hearts, Lord. Be with my sister as well as she deals with condemnation and guilt and even takes the weight of her son's bad responsibility or bad decisions upon herself like it's her fault. And I just pray against that mindset, Lord, that her mind would be covered with the helmet of salvation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks for calling. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000. Jim in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's on all East Coast calls today so far. Fantastic. Jim, welcome to the program. Uh, hello, Pastor. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great, sir. Uh, my question for you, sir, is that there's a lot of spotlight right now in the Middle East and especially on Jerusalem. And, you know, with everybody thinking about the end times, I was reading about the other day that... Uh, the Temple Institute, which uh, is in charge of this, you know, the restoration project for uh, the Temple uh, for the Jews to uh, return doing their sacrifices. And so I read this article that um, there is a potential red heifer. And in Numbers 19, uh, it describes how a red heifer is needed for the purification of the priests before they go into the Temple. And so they have this potential red heifer. And with this potential red heifer, you know, pure, uh, you know, perfect red heifer, how are we as Christians supposed to react to this? Yes, the tribulation period and the end times begins with the rebuilding of the temple, but how are we supposed to reach out to our uh, brothers and sisters of the of of the Jews? Do we condemn uh, the looking for a red heifer or? How are we as Christians supposed to react? Well, I think that our reaction would be within the realm of of matching behavior with truth. So if you had an opportunity for a conversation to come up about the red heifer, then you take a person and say, look, this is 
proof positive that we're living in the end times. When we take tours to Israel, one of our stops is the tour or is the um, um, Temple Institute. Uh, they we they take us on a tour. Um, it's changed over the years uh, to now it's all automated and we don't get to ask questions. But back in the day, we got to ask questions. They just had kids, inter- interns, you know, 16, 17 year old kids um, being bombarded with these Bible student questions uh, that they probably got tired of it and made it all automated. But um, you can see with your own eyes how they are ready to build an, a third temple. They're ready to, they're ready. As it, as it is today, to rebuild the temple. Um, but biblically, this temple will not be one that honors God. Uh, it will not be one that's approved by God. And they will be fulfilling their the prophetic teachings of the Scriptures, but it won't be something that is approved by God. It's only something that would be used by God, or I would even say more so to used by God to allow the Antichrist uh, to reveal himself through it. So the bu- rebuilding of the temple does not necessarily mean, uh, or that when they um, break ground on it, doesn't necessarily mean that that's the beginning of the Great Tribulation period. The beginning of the Great Tribulation period is more connected with the rapture of the church than it is, so that it's very possible that you could see a peace treaty as we see Ezekiel 38 being re- fulfilled right before our eyes. And today I read uh, that our president, Trump, has been uh, nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for the United Arab Emirates uh, peace deal, uh, which is partial fulfillment of Ezekiel 38, um, that Israel would start to make peace with their neighbors uh, and with their enemies. But what should we do? We should match what we see in the news and with the reality of what we read with the biblical truth. And if somebody wants to talk about it, it was like, yeah, in the end times, they need a red heifer. Like they need, like the idea that just the just the idea that the temple will be rebuilt. It there's some theories of where it will be rebuilt. Uh, one, there there are three predominant theories or positions for the temple mount uh, to, for it to be built. Number one, on the temple mount where you currently see the golden dome, which would be an absolute miraculous, um, amazing turn of events. Number one. Number two, just to the Man, I'm, I can't remember if it's to the south or the east. I don't remember. But they would put the, it would put the, um, it would still be on the Temple Mount. There's plenty of room, believe me. When you're on the Temple Mount, you can see it. There's plenty of room to build a temple so that the Dome of the Rock would be in the court of the Gentiles. And then there's a third theory that they would rebuild the temple down uh, from the southern steps south from the Temple Mount in the old city of David, which many people think that's where the original temple is. Um, But the fact that they would break ground, the fact that they would start building doesn't necessarily mean, I don't think it, if it, if it, from my view of biblical um, uh, prophecy, that the the rapture of the church ushers in the great tribulation period, not that removal of the Holy Spirit, that which restrains, according to the Thessalonians, is what begins the tribulation period, not the rebuilding of the temple. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that. That pretty much answered my question of like you know. It's a as, great question. And, you know, I know, I know that uh, you know I was reading about it, researching it that uh, <clears throat> with the red heifer, you know, it's a very beautiful uh, symbolism of uh, Jesus. 
you know, that he was the pure, you know, he, he was the pure sacrifice for us. And I was talking to my one friend. I was like, hey, like, th- like this is a symbolism for Christ, and this is how we should look at it. And this is why he is the chosen one. He fulfilled all these prophecies. Well, well the Temple Institute actually has a website. So if you would like to go to their website, you can see just how serious they are. Uh, they are raising money uh, in um, extraordinary ways. They have their own school, their own preparation. They've, they have found the family of Kohen, and they believe they found the bloodline of the Kohathites uh, and the priests. It's unbelievable how serious they are. They are absolutely serious. Um, but this will not be a temple that's approved by God. Um, this will not be a temple where true worship will take place. Um, and it will be one where um, many will continue to live apart from Messiah, um, living a life of works that do not cover their sin at all. And any of the sacrifices they do will not cover their sin at all because the Lamb of God that's come to take away the sins of the world uh, is being neglected. Um, so thanks for calling, brother. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000. Tony down in Pueblo, Colorado. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. And, and I just wanted to thank you for all of your inspiration and uh, preaching throughout the years, uh, Ed. And I had a quick question about, have you ever heard of Jonathan Kahn and some of his modern-day prophecies about the end time? I have. And what, what are your thoughts on them, though? Uh, not not somebody I really give a lot of credibility to personally. I don't. I didn't like his first book, Harbinger. I think the whole premise of his first book was wrong, uh, and that means every everything else he builds on it is going to be in some form or fashion wrong. Uh, I don't really believe he handles the Bible in an accurate way, and so I don't promote him, support him, or I didn't read anything after the Harbinger. I was just curious because I, you know, I had been listening to him and. I thought, I wonder what Ed thinks about this guy. <laughs> yeah, I just think he's a good promoter and a good bookseller, and I think he is able to tap into uh, the excitement and the interest in prophecy. Uh, I just don't, I don't agree with his conclusions. And uh, I, I used to, I, I'd have to look it up. I don't have it with me. But uh, I, he made a prediction that didn't come to pass. And, I mean, that's an, we wouldn't stone him, but we certainly would ignore any more prophecies because we know he's not a true prophet when you make a prophecy that doesn't come to pass. Oh, I'd like to know what that prophecy was. Yeah, I can't remember it? what he said now. Um, uh, I, need to, I need to look it up. Um, it was in the Harbinger, uh, and I don't remember what it was. Um, it says, if we know about his 920 event, I don't know what that is. What is it? I guess he's having a, a national and global, uh, and it's 926, actually. I'm 926, uh-huh. What is it? Yes, it's a national and global call to for uh, repentance and return to the Lord. Well, I can and support that. Yeah, and he's actually uh, throwing one, at the, I guess, at the nation's capital on the front lawn that day, and he just said if anybody can join it online or whatever, he'd appreciate it. And he said just try to get the word out for him. Well, I can definitely support a call to repentance, no doubt. Well, I appreciate your time, and I won't tie you up. Okay, Tony. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number. Um, do we have any? Uh, 
we got open lines. I'm right here so I can see the lights. Uh, 303-690-3000. Let me get to a text. I thought this was a great question. Uh, could you please explain Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4? So let me go to Romans, and I'll read it to everybody for the sake of the question. So Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Uh, you guys will recall verses 1 and 2 is about the truth that there is therefore now no condemnation. Paul then says, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So we're getting a great contrast on exactly what the purpose of the law, what the purpose of the Torah, what the purpose of the foundation of Judaism really was. The First of all, we understand that the Torah and the Ten Commandments was weak. It was weak in that it couldn't change my behavior. The law has no power. The Torah has no power. Even though it is a perfect instruction of God, it does not then come with the conveyance of power from God. And it, has, it is weak. Uh, it is unable to empower me to obey. You know, like, like you could write out all your goals on little three by buy cards, post them all over your house. I'm going to be a millionaire. I'm going to get the promotion. You're the best. You're gonna, and you can see them all over. You can see them on your dashboard. You can see them on your mirror. And you can, when you get your milk out, it's taped to the milk. But those cards have no power to convey a million dollars to you, to give you that raise. They have no power. There's, they only reveal weakness so that you see a card that says, you will be a millionaire. All that card reminds you of is that you're not a millionaire. Uh, we, you, have, you will not yell at your cat anymore on your milk in the morning. Well, all that reminds you is you just yelled at the cat to get out of the way of the refrigerator. <clears throat> um, and so as the law was unable to change your flesh, it could only point out your failures. That's all the law can do. That's all the law does. Only to lawbreakers, right? Because like, like the law today, if we're driving 25 and a 25 mile an hour, the law doesn't apply. We're exactly where we need to be. But when we're 25.1, you're a lawbreaker. And the law tells you you're speeding. It doesn't stop you from speeding. As a matter of fact, some people I know, to remain nameless, have told me personally as a pastor, when I've used this illustration, yeah, Ed, when I see 25, it automatically, may, I go 35. Well, the law was weak. It couldn't stop you, slap you in the head, and say, why, believer in Jesus Christ, you're rebellious. It doesn't say, it, it, it doesn't have the power. The, the, the sign on the street, the, the law that was passed at the legislature has no power. It can only reveal. The Bible says it's a school teacher. So what the law couldn't do, what the written law couldn't do, <clears throat> God did which makes sense. And what, what couldn't the law do? The law could not make you righteous. It can never make you righteous. 
That's why systems of religion built on works are fruitless. They're empty. What you couldn't do, what I couldn't do, live a perfect life. What the law couldn't do, make us righteous. God did. He made us righteous. How? By sending his own son to pay the price for our sins. The law says do. The gospel says done. And that's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Isn't that awesome? So Romans 8, 3 and 4 is amazing. The law could not do. It was weak through the flesh. It didn't ha- doesn't have the power to make you righteous. That's why these, some of these messianic teachers emphasize Torah, Torah, Torah. That's all they talk about, Torah, God's perfect instruction. God's perfect instruction is weak because it's weak through the flesh, because it can't make you righteous. It can only remind you you're unrighteous. You must come to the new covenant, and you must learn to rely upon the sufficiency of, It's not Jesus Christ, 95% and 5% Torah. It's not Jesus, well, you know, Jesus, he kept the Torah. No, Jesus was perfect. He was untouched by sin. So his model of keeping the Torah was because he was perfect. He would keep any law that was written, any law. He didn't break any laws, ever. But he was righteous in and of himself. You and I don't have that privilege. So to turn to the law and emphasize the law, and lay the trip of the law on people, is a weak, backwards... I mean, we've been learning that in Hebrews. The Hebrew believers wanted to go back to Judaism. They have everything, this all-sufficient faith in Jesus Christ. They have all that they ever need. He's superior to everything and everyone that they've ever met and learned about. That's the whole book of Hebrews. Those of you that get sidetracked on messianic um, teachings and the emphasis of the law... You, you need to go back to Galatians and Hebrews. That's why Hebrews and Galatians were written. Why are you going back to the law? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? You're going to be perfected in the flesh, Paul wrote to the Galatians. Don't go back to the law. You have the law written on your heart. And so righteousness only comes by faith. That's it. Not because you kept the Ten Commandments. You haven't kept the Ten Commandments. You will never keep the Ten Commandments. Even as we learn tonight about spending time with Jesus, they had been with Jesus. That was Peter. Peter was described as a man uneducated, untrained, but he had been with Jesus. What does that mean? Well, for the New Covenant believer, it has everything to do with abiding in Christ. And when you abide in Christ, you have all that you need to not only stand before God, holy and righteous by faith, but also all you need for life and holiness. So thank you. What a question. I love Romans. Love Romans. It's so good. So everything, the the phone lines are empty. Uh, We're coming up on the end of the show, but I got a couple minutes. I can take at least one call. Um, Here's another text question. No, no, no. uh, (laughs) How do you say this guy? Nostradamus. What do I think about the prophecies of Nostradamus? Nostradamus was a false prophet. He actually wasn't a prophet. He was a pharmacist who wrote some things down. And he was generic enough. Some people um, suggest, including um, 
the National Enquirer and those types of publications that Nostradamus um, has predicted from the rise of Hitler to the 9-11 attacks. But he wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a biblical prophet. And he wasn't a prophet in any sense of the word. Uh, here's the prophecy that he, that's purported to say that he predicted 9-11, and I quote, in the, new, in the year of the new century in nine months, from the sky will come a great king of terror. The sky will burn at 45 degrees. Fire approaches the great new city. That's not a prediction of 9-11. So I don't support him, don't suggest, don't think he's, um, you know, if I said, uh, I think today the skies in um, San Francisco are going to be orange. They go, oh, Ed, you're a prophet. And when they wake up in the morning, it'll probably be orange. Oh, Ed, you're a prophet. No, there's just massive fires in California that's changing the landscape. We see that little bit of that here in Denver. Uh, the skies are going to be dark and uh, gloomy. Well, that's because a storm came in. So no, I don't, um, I don't uh, believe in uh, and support him at all. Is it ungodly to go to a powwow? Uh, I don't know what happens at a powwow. So I would say that there's probably an ungodly way to go if it's a religious experience. Uh, that is, uh, if uh, my understanding of a powwow is a religious experience, uh, those of, of Native American descent um, are worshiping the, um, the, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, you can text in if you want, but a powwow, is, a, is that a religious expression or is it just a Native dance? Uh, so can you, can you observe someone else's religious expression in a godly way? Yes. Yes, you can. Uh, can you visit, um, I, can, you, can you express uh, maybe um, something in Hawaii, maybe some of their origins of their dances are um, spiritual in nature and not to the one true God? Can you experience that without sinning? Yes, uh, absolutely. But you can also experience it in an ungodly way. Um, and I think, depending on what you know and how you experience it, I think, you, can you be in the presence of sinners? Yes. Can you be in the presence of sinners sinning? Yes, Jesus was at a wedding with a bunch of people getting drunk. Um, but he could do it without sin. So I think you just got to uh, be careful. If, they want, if you want to participate, if, you start, if they're inviting you to worship false gods, then no, you shouldn't do that. But if you're looking at maybe a friend invited you and you want to be a friend to them for the purpose of the gospel, I think it's certainly possible to attend something like, like that, if that's what a powwow is, uh, some kind of a spiritual experience uh, without sinning. So yeah, I think it's possible. I think we can, anywhere the, the sole of our feet tread, God has given to us. And as long as we don't participate in it, um, then we can do it without sin. Um, uh, here's a quick question. Pastor Ed, when are you guys putting Alistair Big back on Grace FM? Uh, we were asked to remove Alistair Big from Grace FM because they have a policy that they don't want to be in the same market on two different radio stations within a certain amount of hours. Um, and that's the only reason. Um, he, he is a phenomenal Bible teacher. I don't agree with his Reformed theology, uh, but he doesn't emphasize his Reformed theology. He's a Bible teacher, and I appreciate that. Uh, and I'd love to have Alistair Big back on the station, um, but they, um, they, didn't, they asked to be taken off because we were too close to them being on. They have a much, much larger 
uh, relationship with the Salem Broadcasting, which is the other station here in Denver, KRKS. Uh, um, I think they're calling themselves the word now. And, um, you know, we were cool with them being on there too. But um, you need to call them. Call Alistair Big, Parkside Church in Ohio, and say, um, find out what, what's the name of his radio broadcast? Um, let me see. Kevin's typing, Truth for Life. And call them every day and say, go back on Grace FM. Go back on Grace FM. Pay their rates and go back on Grace FM. Pay their full rate. Go back on Grace FM. That's just a little subliminal. <laughs> but we love great. We That's not a decision we made. I have made decisions. Uh, we have made decisions to remove teachers here before uh, for a variety of reasons, important reasons. Um, and he was not one of them. Um, we got a lot of good response from Alistair Big being on the station. Um, and I got to meet him. Got to be at a conference with him. I don't think I taught there that year uh, that he was... That, so I don't. I can't say I got to share the stage with him um, because I didn't teach at the conference that year in Tucson. But I got to meet him. Great guy, um, great teacher. He shared a phenomenal study. It was right after a prominent Calvary Chapel pastor fell, um, or maybe I'm confused with the message he taught at a conference. Um, but every time he's taught that I've been there in person, he's the real deal. Just a neat, neat guy. And I just heard a testimony of my friend. Uh, who was assistant pastor at Tucson, he shared in one of his Bible studies that he was the host. You know, we have guest teachers. One of the pastors hosts them. And he said this guy was the absolute real deal. Just totally real. So thanks for texting us. We'd love to have him back on. So call him every day until he's back on. All right. We're going to be here tonight, 7 o'clock. This is Calvary Church. Go to our website, calvaryco.church. Tomorrow, Lord willing, I'll be back. Oh, actually, I'm not back tomorrow. I'm at a wedding. So my friend's daughter is getting married. Going to be excited. God bless you guys. See you tonight. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.